Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. Join me, your host, Alexia Gordon, as I chat with authors writing cozy, traditional, and historical mysteries. You won't find explicit sex or graphic violence. You will find intriguing authors and quality fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Jocelyn Cole and Sharon Nagel, perhaps better known as Juno Black, join me in the corner today to chat about Twilight Falls, the fourth Shady Hollow mystery, uh, which was mentioned in today's New York Times. Uh, Welcome, Jocelyn and Sharon. Hello. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Uh, So first, tell us about the the, uh, mention in the Times. That's exciting. (laughs) Nope. Well, Sharon, our, I, will, I will let you jump in. Yeah, I guess our new best friend, Sarah Weinman, who writes the crime and mystery column, um, had reviewed four new mysteries, and we were one of them, and she apparently likes us, and it was a very nice review, and I am beyond thrilled to see our names spelled correctly in the New York Times. So, <laughs> Congratulations. That's, that's certainly an accomplishment. <laughs> Uh, so would, would you please tell us a bit about what's happening in Twilight Falls? Uh, this is, I think, is the fourth Shady Hollow, um, Shady Hollow mystery. No, yes. Um, so <laughs> the the first three came out um, last year. <laughs> time is yes. difficult now. Um, and then we um, had some time to write the fourth novel, which is our first Shady Hollow novel that is set in the season of spring. All of the previous ones are sort of late summer, early fall, late fall. So we had a lot of fun with this sort of new setting. And with the new setting, we have new crime. So all of the um, residents of Shady Hollow decide to go on a little day trip excursion to the beautiful Twilight Falls, which is a gorgeous waterfall not far from town, and have a lovely day of picnicking and walking. And at sunset, there is a scuffle at the top of the falls and somebody falls off. And that is the beginning of the story because it is very clear that um, this is uh, foul play, uh, not, not merely an accident. And Vera and Orville need to investigate the crime to figure out who, the, who pushed Shelby Atwater, who is, is the victim. And it was really fun to create some new locations and new characters and explore a different side of Shady Hollow. Now your your series is unique in that your characters are non-human animals. It kind of reminds me of the wind in the willows or the cricket in Times Square. So how'd you decide to make your your characters non-human animals? Uh, Sharon, do you want to take this one? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, we kind of had a little bit of an inspiration back when we were both booksellers at Boswell Books in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, one night, a very slow night, um, our boss asked us to put, to price some finger puppets for the children's department. And they were all woodland creatures, very cute. There was a fox, a bear, and an owl, and a mouse. And while we were pricing them, we also gave them names and occupations. 
And we um, decided that they lived in a place called Shady Hollow. And since it was close to November, which is National Novel Writing Month, um, right now, as a matter of fact, um, we decided to write a story about them. And uh, that's what we did. <laughs> I said, did you, did you put on a, a finger puppet show? We did not. <laughs> and so, uh, speaking of the professions, how did you decide which animal had which profession? You know, for example, Vera Vixen's the reporter. I, I think for some of them, it's more obvious than others. Um, Vera is, she's foxy, she's inquisitive, she's quick. So I think that it kind of fit for her to be in this job where she was always sticking her nose in other people's business and, um, you know, just always on the scent and really prepared to, to go after the story. Um Orville is he's a brown he's a he's a brown bear and he is you know he's he's big and you know a more one of the more intimidating creatures so he is actually the town he's the deputy in in the first few books and then he actually becomes the chief of police um, because he's big and burly and if he tells you to stop doing something you're liable to stop doing it so <laughs> we decide he's kind of the enforcer um, our medical examiner is a snake. Um, partly because um, the sort of, I, I don't know what the actual name for this is, but like the symbol of medicine is the two snakes entwined around a staff. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that was our inspiration for that, which is why the snake is involved in the medical field. <laughs> and the lawyer is a rat because rats are intelligent and rational and, you know, love to, you know, they love paperwork as we all know about rats. <laughs> So yeah, yeah some, some of them we we so we started with like a, a core of like what an animal might do and then sort of spun it off from there. Yeah, some things just came completely from our behinds, like um Howard Chitters, who is a mouse who is a CPA, just because yeah. he looked like one. <laughs> now, do do some animals seem more because now you you got the, the snake being a medical examiner and that's obviously not a bad guy that's a good guy so i mean mm -hmm. you, you don't go with the stereotypes of you know snakes and rats are bad um so do some animals though lend themselves more to being the the the, the villain of the story or, or at least not the hero of the story well that would give the mystery um, <laughs> that, that, that would if we had it we, yeah we don't want it to be too obvious because we want it to be fun to discover we do have um lefty who is a raccoon and he is the sort of known petty thief in town um again like yes raccoons have a little bandit mask that they they come with um and so we really decided to lean into that but lefty is actually a very good-hearted individual he supports local theater he's always happy to answer questions when they don't involve his own crimes and <laughs> he's he's he is one of the good guys and we actually wanted to build a world that is actually mostly good and most of the characters and um the figures that are in the story do actually want order and peace and they want justice when something goes wrong and the villains are sneaky so they sometimes seem like good guys until you it's revealed that they're not yeah, the, the the best villains are hard to spot at first glance exactly <laughs> so are there any challenges that you found with uh, working with um animal non-human animal characters as opposed to to human characters Oh, well, <laughs> we've kind of created this world and and the longer it goes on, we have to adhere to the rules that we, you know, sort of willy nilly came up with. 
um, or gave a lot of attention to you, depending on <laughs> who you are. And um, yeah, so they we have to go along with these things. We've created this world where there are no people and there are not man-made things like electronic things like cars and computers. So we have to remember that when when things <laughs> when when one is writing a new book, one has to keep going with the same rules. That's true. Yeah, and there's there's words like in English which are very um, human centric. So like I can't say, oh, I'm going to hand you this cup of coffee in Shady Hollow because no one has a hand; they have paws. So we have to think about our language and be very careful that we're not accidentally using words or terminology that clearly references humans, which has been an, like you don't think of you don't think it's a common thing until you start writing and you realize all the words you're not allowed to use. Handkerchiefs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, one one thing that that I liked is that you have um both the cast of characters um and a map in the front of the book, which used to be more common. You don't see it as much anymore, but I think it, it's kind of charming. How'd you decide to to include those? I think that's something that we both like in a book. I love maps in books and cast of characters was something I remember seeing the old Agatha Christie's that we both grew up reading um, is something that they used to do in those. And I always liked it because I always refer back to who the people are because, you know, when you're reading a new book and there's a whole town full of people, you have to refer back constantly to see who's who until you really get into it. And who, who yeah, created I don't, I don't know if it's... Oh, go ahead. The map... Oh, sorry. Uh, so the, the map was created by the same person who created our covers, who's Perry de la Vega, who is one of the in-house um, artists who works with Penguin Random House and various imprints. Um, so when they asked us, hey, would you like a map? We said, yes, we do. <laughs> so <laughs> I, drew, I drew a very bad map. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I drew just a hideous map that was um, <laughs> extremely childish, took a picture, and then Perry took that and made it into the, the beautiful map that is in, in front of the, <laughs> the book. So <laughs> very grateful to have professional artists. Now, do, do you have your entire... Uh, Shady Hollow Universe mapped out ahead of time, or do you kind of create the geography and landscape as you go with each book? Uh, as we go. Because we do, we yeah. are killing people off in each book, so we need new people. <laughs> and it's fun to just add to the world and expand it. And so we have new locations as well. Yeah, we try to, uh, well, we might mention a place in a very vague way um, in an earlier book, knowing that it's, it's useful to have some locations ready to go. Um, it doesn't guarantee that they'll show up in a later book, um, but it gives us a little bit of a signpost and then um, we can expand it into an actual setting when we get to the book and figure out what's what. But it's it's very much of like an exploratory process for us too, because we do not know what we're doing. <laughs> I, I, you're doing it very well. <laughs> um, another thing that's that's fun is the the characters' names. I mean, somebody like you know Vera Vixen. You know, she's obviously a fox, and um, was it Orville Braun? You know, bronze brown, so bear. But there's some like um, Gladys Honeysuckle and Arabella Boatwright. How did you come up with those? Um, Gladys Honeysuckle is is a hummingbird. So we didn't we didn't want to be like like. It, it, it felt too childish to like have just like straight up like, oh, like we weren't going to call him like Orville Bear, you know, so we called him Orville Braun. And Gladys 
spell. I like, I really like the slightly more old fashioned names, like the sort of like fifties esque names. And so Gladys came out of there and honeysuckle is, you know, something that hummingbirds are very excited to have. So I think that that worked well. And then Sharon came up with Arabella Boatwright. Boatwright is straight out of my, um, high school yearbook because I went to high school in uh, North Florida and I like to refer to some of my old yearbooks for name just inspiration not the full name because I don't know where Arabella came from but she just seemed like an Arabella because she's a she's a librarian a little old-fashioned name too but yeah but right straight out of high school yearbook (laughs) Uh, no no, another touch that that I loved um but I wouldn't call it old fashioned. It's just not as common as, as it used to be. You have your, your author's note and prologue. It's kind of in that sort of third person narrative voice that sort of introduces, you know, readers to the world that they're about to enter. I mean, was, was that inspired by, by sort of, an, you know, older books to go along with the, the more old fashioned names, or is that just something that somebody recommended because it's, it's not your Typical, hey, these are humans doing these things, and it needed some some setup or had that come. I think out? that was all Jocelyn. Because um, <laughs> people, I... people do not get what they're, you know, they don't. They either get it and they are horrified, or they're um, instantly intrigued. There are two camps. Yeah, I, th- I think it was it was it was important to us to be able to just right from the jump let people know what they're getting. Because again, like you do not want a reader who's upset to be reading what's in front of them. So it's like the author's note is there. You're either in or you're out. <laughs> if you're in, <laughs> keep turning the pages. If you're out, there's many other wonderful books in the world that are probably a better fit for you. So I, it's it's very much of a warning. Like, <laughs> is this your book or not? <laughs> I, I'm trying to imagine horrified as a reaction because I really can I mean I can see surprise perhaps confused but I mean it's it's got I'm looking at the cover you know it's it's like charming pink and green and and I mean what's horrifying what horrified people it's it's more of a I have I was a bookseller for 10 years I've hand sold a lot of books to people and you know immediately whether you're connecting with someone or not and just sometimes just describing the plot is enough to intrigue people and maybe you don't always have the book in hand or you're just hey would you be interested in something like this and that that look of oh god no is immediate if it's not something you know if it's not your book it's not your book (laughs) so yeah i I think some adults are alarmed by the animals because they feel like oh no that i'm reading a kid's book and so it's just not something they're into which is again like totally fine because it's not for everybody and it's better to know that right at the beginning. <laughs> when I was speaking of being sometimes mistaken for a, for a kid's book, I mean, does that bother you? Because I, mean, I I personally love juvenile fiction, um, and and I admit I have read quite a bit of it as a so-called adult. <laughs> well, our main concern, I think, was that young children would not read it because it has adult themes like murder and infidelity, and you know, even though it's a cozy mystery, there's not blood and gore. It is it is a book that we consider for adults, but we have found that tweens um, are reading them with their parents, which is great. We read Agatha Christie and Sherlock Holmes when we were tweens and (laughs) have turned out reasonably okay. So that is fine, but I think we wanted to avoid people thinking it was a book for young children based on the covers. 
I mean, I was reading Stephen King as a tween, so my same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely was reading grown-up books as a kid, and you know, it, I, my parents were fine with it. So, but yeah, we wanted it to be very, very clear that it is written for a grown-up audience, although it is obviously open to anyone who can read it. <laughs> a little, um, a little bit on your your sort of I guess writing process. I mean, you're obviously two of you writing as a single author. So how does how does what? that happen? <laughs> um, well, we started during NaNoWriMo and we cheated because there were two of us. Um, and what we did is just swap um, a Word document back and forth. I would write on even days and Jocelyn would write on odd days and we would send it back and forth. It was kind of like a a game of telephone where you tell a story up until a certain point and then you pass it on to the next person and they pick it up. And sometimes we would leave notes as to, Hey, I think this would be a good thing to happen. And the next person could say, Hey, I think that's good and write that or blatantly ignore it and write something of their own, which depending on, <laughs> we did a little bit too. So it, just to keep things fresh. I mean, sometimes I was just really excited to like talk about a certain kind of pie. So I would just write a scene where they were like in the coffee shop eating that pie. And I was like, we'll deal with the plot later. I need to tell you about this pie. So yeah, we would do a little bit like try to keep it more or less chronological, but definitely I'm a jump ahead writer. So I would just occasionally write scenes that I knew wouldn't happen until way later. And we kind of had to fill in the blanks to, to get there. And I'm a pantser, so I just la la la, right as spirit moves me, and <laughs> see where we are. Nina, you you said you worked together. Did you know each other well before you decided to, um, you know, turn your your impromptu puppet show into a successful novel series? Well, I mean, we, we knew been, each other well, yeah, yeah in, in the way that retail people forged in the fires of retail get to know each other. So we, you know we how you just, did not you, know each other very long. <laughs> but we sort of just hit it off. We have the same kind of snarky sense of humor and and um, we had we just hit it off at work. So we're, <laughs> I don't think either of us imagined that this would continue or grow in the way that it has, which is yeah, <laughs> kind of interesting. And yes, now we are shackled to each other. Yeah, <laughs> and you're you're located in in different states. Does that make it more complicated to to co-write a series? Well, clearly the time the time zones are a challenge for some of us. <laughs> Actually, um, we, first we, time. we do most of it um, via email, or it's uh, very occasionally we'll like put it into a Google Doc if we need to, you know, work both work on it at the same time. But we like the idea of emailing it back and forth. So it's it's not too much of a challenge technically. And I do go back to Wisconsin every summer. And so we, we usually meet up and like plot out the next thing we're working on. So we'll meet up in a coffee shop and talk about murder, which uh, all of the other coffee shop people apparently are fine with. And, uh, you know, sort of <laughs> totally ignore us. Um, and then we, you know, write down the story beats and kind of get that general shape ready for when we actually do go and, and start writing, which might be a couple months down the road. Well, I suspect at least half the other people in that coffee shop are probably working on their own murder mystery. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. It is true. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of of working on mysteries, what's what's next for the uh, Shady Hollow crew and for both of you? 
Well, um, book five is already in, in the can. It's in the production pipeline. So that's coming out next year, which means that we are working on book six, which we are just starting to jump into. Yeah. Yes, Sharon is actually working on it as we speak. So because it's November. <laughs> yeah. Trying a lava writing month. <laughs> it seems appropriate. You're writing another one during NanoRimo and the first one came out of NanoRimo. Yeah, it kind of jump starts me a little bit because Jocelyn works all the time as a writer because that's what she does. Um, I have a day job, so I have to go back and forth. And it, it, it does help me sort of get back into writing on a regular basis. Yeah, and, uh, Nano is, is a very inspiring uh, kick in the <laughs> pants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, need, I need a little encouragement, so, yeah. So, well, I would definitely count you both as winners of NaNoWriMo. Um, you know, <laughs> four books, well, five books, um, and a mention in the New York Times, so um, can't beat that. That's yeah, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and where, where can folks uh, buy a copy of um, Twilight Falls? Um. Wherever their favorite indie bookstore is, they certainly can go there um, and either get it off the shelf or request that the bookstore order it, which they'll be delighted to do. Or they can go to bookshop.org or they can go to all the usual online vendors as well. It's Barnes & Noble. It's available on the other one. And <laughs> um, really wherever wherever books are sold, which is the, the very wonderful thing about being with a large publisher that knows how to distribute books. <laughs> Oh, and I have to ask about your your sweatshirt or your sweater. You you said you're wearing your, your sweater. Oh, no. yes. So I, awesome. I, I am, for for our, our audio listeners who do not um, have the chance to see it, I am wearing a sweater that has a little fox uh, on it, and the fox is wearing glasses. And I've actually had this sweater for, like, years and years. Um, I think it's, like, from Old Navy or something. It's very random. Um and, you know, I just felt now that we're sharing Vera's stories with the world. So I was like, well, got to get that sweater out of the closet. <laughs> it's part of our brand now. <laughs> I only have box socks. I have box socks. I do not have a sweater, but I'm going to have to. Between us, we have got like a complete outfit. <laughs> <laughs> well, fox socks and a fox sweater sounds like a very cozy, foxy outfit. <laughs> it does. Yes. And that is nothing if not on brand. And that goes along with Jocelyn's plan never to have to wear pants when she's working. So. It's true. That's my that's my metric for success as a writer that I never have to like put on real pants and get a real job again. <laughs> that's my goal. Yeah, I'm guessing that my library would frown on that when I I am required to wear pants at work. Yeah, you're you're a you're a public servant. So I'm a public servant. To <laughs> adhere to those rules. And plus, it's cold up here. You know. So for, for readers who want to uh, find out how the uh, Pants Less Quest is going, where can they connect with you on, on social media or the web? <laughs> uh, we are on Instagram and uh, there is a website, which is junoblack.com, where all our particulars, as well as some um, very snazzy merch are available. <laughs> True. Yep, Ooh. and all of our, our social links are down there as well. So junoblack.com is probably the easiest um, way to start. And then you can find what you're looking for on that website. <laughs> can, can people get their own Fox merch? We are very excited because just in time for the holidays, we have a mug um, that looks like it is from Joe's Mug. Um, and we have a tote bag in which you can put all of your books. So it is a very wonderful and functional tote bag. So we're 
have those available and we're hoping to add a, a few more things as inspiration strikes us. Well, it sounds like very eco-friendly Christmas pack or holiday packaging. You can put the book <laughs> yes. and save the planet while being... Yeah, there's no plastic involved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shady, Shady Hollow would recognize these items as... as you can never have too many, have too many mugs or too many tote bags. Or it's too true. many books. Or too many books. Also true. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you both for uh, taking the time to um, call in from uh, two different cities and two different time zones to, to chat with me today. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for letting us thank come you. and chat. Thank you for asking us. Mm-hmm. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guests today were Jocelyn Cole and Sharon Nagel, better known as Juno Black, chatting about Twilight Falls, the fourth Shady Hollow mystery. Until next time, goodbye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Please support the podcast by leaving a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you listen on. Follow the podcast on Instagram at podcast underscore cozy, on Facebook at The Cozy Corner Podcast, and the web at The Cozy Corner with AlexiaGordon.com. Follow me at Alexia Gordon Author on Instagram, AlexiaGordon.Writer on Facebook, and AlexiaGordon.Net on the web. Support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash author Alexia Gordon. And until next time, Thanks for listening.